Welcome to the Podcast Network. This show is brought to you by our sponsors, LearnDog. Go to www.learndog.com and check them out. We're a media company that will try to help kids. Wander over to LearnDog.com and subscribe to our RSS feed today. If you like what you see, stick around. G'day, you're on the pod with Mick and Ken from the G'day World Podcast. G'day world, g'day Mick. G'day Cam, how you doing buddy? Good mate, it's been a while since we've done a show. It, it has been, it's been a couple of weeks but we've been busy, we've been busy. Well it's currently Wednesday the 2nd of March 2005 in Australia but on the line we have Dan Bricklin. How are you Dan? Doing fine. It's afternoon here on Tuesday. And tell the audience where here is, Dan. Here is Newton, Massachusetts, the garden city of Newton, Mass, which is right near Boston. And uh, how cold is it over that way uh, at the moment? Are you coming out of it's, winter? Are you officially in uh, spring yet? No, no, no. It's, uh, well, it's right around freezing. Uh, we got 12 inches of snow last night, so my back's killing me from shoveling. <laughs> Excellent. That's something that we're not familiar with. Have you ever been to Australia, Dan? Not yet. I hope to, but not yet. The whole idea of shoveling snow is uh, totally foreign to us out here, isn't it, Mick? Yeah. Yep. But it's beautiful. I mean, I'm seeing a gorgeous view out, you know, just of, of the, the houses across the street and the trees. It's just gorgeous. Yeah, it is. It is very pretty snow covered. I was up uh, upstate New York, uh, sort of January last year, up at Ithaca. Yeah, spending a couple of weeks at Cornell, and I was just amazed at how pretty it is this time of year. Yeah. So, Dan, you're, how does it feel to be a legend in your own lifetime, Dan? I mean, seriously, you're one of the legends of the, the PC business. Is, is that kind of weird? Well, it's a legend among geeks. You know, it's among a narrow set of people. So, you know, uh, most people are legends among some group, you know, even if it's just their high school or something like that. Um, oh. But um, I sort of think VisiCalc extends the boundaries of geeks, though. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it includes accountants <laughs> and some business people. I mean, accountants, I'm um, their hero. I made uh, um, big an accountant fun, <laughs> so they tell me. <laughs> really? It's, yeah. uh, you, know, I, uh, you know, I said to my wife, oh, we're so excited. I've got Dan Bricklin coming on the show this morning. And she was like, who? And I said, VisiCalc. Yeah. And she said, who? And I said, well, you know. Yeah. There would be no Excel if, if it wasn't for Dan, basically. And she went, oh, oh, God, because you know, everyone, I guess, on the planet pretty much uses Excel at some stage of their life at the moment. And, as, you know, it, it, was I stretching the truth there? It was, was, would there be an Excel without VisiCalc, Dan, in your opinion? Um, well, you know, it wouldn't be the way that it is. I mean, VisiCalc basically set uh, a way of doing user interface and stuff like that that's pretty much been uh, copied ever since by a spreadsheet. I mean, that's what we mean by a spreadsheet. And when Excel came out, they explicitly um, they said that. I mean, you know, that it was VisiCalc, one, two, three, and them. Um, and, uh, you know, when, <laughs> when I'm giving people advice on uh, how to use, when people are asking for help with using Excel, if I don't know how to use something, I say, well, let's try this. It'll work for VisiCalc. Maybe it'll work for you, you know. And you made some comments uh, when I saw you on stage uh, at Demo. You were being interviewed by Chris Shipley. And uh, you made some reference to the fact that uh, you didn't make a lot of money out of VisiCalc. 
can you explain for those of us that aren't totally familiar with the history of VisiCalc, sort of how it came about and, and what happened to it in the end? Give us sort of the potted history. Yeah, well, um, uh, we in those days, which was back 79 and the early 80s, uh, the model people were trying was an author-publisher model, where there would be a publisher who would publish a lot of different software, which they'd get from a variety of authors, they'd choose among them. And when you have hit products like you do in the, uh, the software world, uh, the PC software world, uh, and it's hard to know in advance what's going to be a hit, that business model doesn't work very well, and we were the poster child for it. So uh, we ended up having a lot of problems with our... Uh, uh, relationship with our publisher, and um, we ended up in a lawsuit, and uh, uh, both the companies ended up being sold off. Uh, we ended up being sold off to Lotus, which at that point was already a very successful company, um, and we're friends of ours. Uh, but uh, I didn't get much money. I mean, I got my, my back salary out of it. Um, but um, it because uh, all of the money that we were making out of selling VisiCalc, we were plowing back into the company to develop new versions for machines we hope might be popular, like uh, we were building it for Sony, a Sony computer that didn't exist, that, you know, sold a handful of copies, uh, a handful of machines, uh, you know, for the Commodore PET and uh, the Atari 800, and the IBM PC, which did very well, uh, some deck machines that did not do very well. Um, and we were doing other products, uh, and um, so when uh, the company was over, I was left with a salary and um, and some money from selling the building we were in. But uh, that was okay. I uh, went off and did Dan Brithlin's demo program, and that was a little more successful. I sold that to Peter Norton and uh, paid for my house and some other things. So tell us a bit about Dan Brithlin's demo program. That was around prototyping? Yes. Um, it started at when I was at Software Arts. We were, you know, people had ideas for products, and not all of them could program. Uh, and I came up with a, uh, a program that was a screen painter. Those were the days when things were um, character-based. And um, it made it easy to, to draw what you wanted on the screen and draw lines and, and boxes and stuff using the, the line-drawing characters and then switch very smoothly and quickly from one screen to another, so much so that it looked like the program was working. And uh, it was very popular among... Um, uh, developers for prototyping, uh, for uh, product managers who wanted to say, here's what I want out of a product. It was used for um, uh, for making sales demonstrations and for training. And uh, that sold oh, uh, tens of thousands of legal copies, many tens of thousands, and many, many more, I understand, uh, not so legal copies. Um, I remember reading in the I think it was PC Magazine that this was it was one of the most popular products in India at the time, and I had sold three copies. Uh, <laughs> and I know that the Indian software business was much bigger than that. Um, but um, on the other hand, um, you know that's how I realized that uh, the Indian software business was on its way up. Uh, if it was considered a popular program, they're into developing things. Uh, but um, demo um, demo was fun because I actually wrote the code for that myself. I uh, wrote the manual, uh, manufactured it myself, took orders for the first few months until I hired an assistant uh, who then took the orders and went through soft sell the distributor and it was it was exciting times. Um, and um, uh, but then eventually I wanted to do other stuff, so I uh, I sold that to Peter Norton and eventually it ended up uh, at uh, uh, Programmers Paradise now owns it. 
And just going back to, to um, VisiCalc for a, for a moment, I guess one of the things that interests me, if I put myself in your shoes, is, is looking at I mean, the, the success and the popularity of a program like Excel and the amount of you know, money that Excel and as part of the office suite has been worth to Microsoft over the last 15 or 20 years, how do you sort of resolve that on a daily basis? Do you feel any um, regret, any bitterness? Were you ever involved in discussions with Microsoft around, you know, the spreadsheet program? Well, you know, we, we couldn't cop we couldn't patent things back in uh, '79 when we came out with it. It was uh, uh, software patents uh, were basically not allowed in the United States, and uh, you could apply for them, but the chances of getting them were slim. Uh, that changed in '81, which was after it was too late to get a patent. We had already released it for uh, more than 18 months, um, so we we hoped to protect ourselves, but we didn't. But you know, I. The, the fact that something that I built, people still care about. 25 years later, um, they change the way business is done. They change what is taught in, in schools. School children are taught how to use my tool. That's amazing. We money can't buy that, you know. Uh, and uh, so that's that's really cool. And you know, it hasn't been that I've been starving. I've been, uh, uh, you know, the physical fame has uh, you know kept me uh, uh, better off than I expected to be. Uh, but not, you know, not one of those multimillionaires or billionaires like the others. You don't um, live in a castle like Kai Krauss. <laughs> no, 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 not a castle. Um, I live in an old Victorian house. Uh, but you know, it's, you know, it's a nice Victorian house, and in today's world, uh, you know, uh, that's fine. You're doing okay. Uh, yeah, I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, it's, and you know, I still have to work, but uh, it's. Uh, um, it, it's fine from that viewpoint, and you know, and I'm happy. And the rest of my life has been pretty good. My family life's been good, and all. But as you say, I mean that that basically the, the spreadsheeting application that you, you helped develop has pretty much created an, a massive amount of wealth, not just for Microsoft, but you know, for companies that have that use it daily, and, and the you know tens of millions of people, if not hundreds of millions of people around the world that use that on a daily basis, as you say, including school children all the way up. That must be an, an incredible sense of achievement, fulfillment oh, for yourself. It's, it's one, oh, it's wonderful. You know, for it's a software developer, that, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that's what we, you know, many of us, that's what we're looking for. We want our tools to be used. So, you know, I get to have a feeling that I hope others will get to feel, that they change the world and, and that, that they may change it for the better um, and that people appreciate what they've done and it, it does more than they can imagine. But, you know, think of, you know, Berners-Lee, think of the people, you know, who did Apache, uh, think of the people who, you know, did any of the, the stuff that makes up the Internet or, or other tools, uh, the people building some of the hardware we all use. You know, there's just so many parts where you can get that feeling. Sure. But, I mean, in the essence, I guess it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's a it's a handful of people. It's It's, you know, a couple of hundred people probably who have been responsible for writing the software applications that have changed the world in the last 20, 30 years. It's, it must be amazing. Uh, Maybe be... more than that. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, <laughs> it's more than that, but it's, yeah, it's, um, it's a small percentage terms, of, uh, it's people. a small percentage. And, yeah. and the, the advantage to VisiCalc was it was a small, a small product at the time that was basically done by just a few individuals so that, you know, 
you know, every bit of the code between three or four of us uh, well, of the first release that came long. out. So, um, you know, that makes it a lot easier to understand than something like the Internet that had so many people who contributed to it in so many different ways. Yeah. And do you use Excel now, or do you still use something you've written yourself? Oh, no, I use Excel. <laughs> uh, or, you know, or works, you know, or whatever. It depends on what's on the machine that I've got. Uh, I use, uh, most recently, I've been using Excel. Uh, I don't necessarily like everything about it because, you know, they did some things differently than I would have done them um, or did do them. Uh, but they did many things the same, and uh, some things they did much better than I ever would have imagined, and I'm very pleased with that. So uh, it serves my needs. Are you following and I'm very happy. I'm very happy. That I invented it when I need it, you know. Not that I mean, I'm happy somebody invented it because when it's there, it's like thank God somebody built this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Are you following closely with the um, you know, open source variations that are starting to become a little bit more mature now? The Star Office no. Eight and Open Office, etc. No, no, I don't. I don't follow the spreadsheet world that closely. I mean, my connection with the spreadsheet world usually is when I'm an expert witness or something like that. You know, <laughs> when some uh, lawyer needs somebody with some history to have clout in a uh, in a, a lawsuit or something. But um, uh, I don't follow it that much. I just you know assume the spreadsheets are old enough and what. The basic needs of most people are simple enough that uh, you know it's not. It wouldn't be surprising to have a good open source version. Yeah. So um, the other thing that I'm really interested. In, I know when you're on stage at demo, you uh, were using a, a tablet PC, and of course you have a long history. I'm with talking to you on a tablet PC right now. Excellent. Which which model are you using? I have the uh, the original Toshiba. Uh, I haven't upgraded it. I still have that. It's it's on its. Uh, uh, second digitizer or second screen and second uh, hard disk, but it's the same machine. Well, um, that, that makes this another three tablet... I have to pay for it myself, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be realistic this is, here. This is another three-tablet PC conversation then. I think all of us yeah. are uh, running the show on a tablet, which is yeah. uh, which is interesting. But your, uh, pin, so your pin usage goes back to, what, 1990 with Slate? Yes, yes, I've been... Uh, I, I've liked the pen... Uh, and, and did a lot of work at Slate uh, with um, with ink, and using the pen as a pointing device. Uh, you know, I even hold patents nowadays on uh, uh, on doing things. They're they're owned by uh, HP right now. But the uh, you know on how to use a pen to improve the spreadsheet, um, and using uh, ink. And uh, I mean, I I what I like about the Toshiba is that you know while it has a touchpad, I don't like the touchpad. I like the pen. You know. And uh, you've seen me using it. That's what I use when I'm uh, using it in tablet mode when I'm not using a mouse. I mean, on desktop, I use a mouse. Hmm. And do you think that the um, concept of, para of pen computing has really hit home with the majority of users yet? There was a, there's been a lot of uh, discussion and debate over the last week or so online over a column that Ross Rubin at Engadget wrote saying it's time to write off pen computing. Would you agree with that? Uh, sorry, I missed the last thing you just said. Ross Rubin, one of the contributors over at uh, Engadget, wrote an article uh, a couple of weeks ago suggesting that the lack of sales of the tablet PC in the last couple of years basically is signalling the final death knell of pen computing and that it's time to write it off. Yeah. What's no, your I feeling think on that? that? Well, first of all, you know, from what I've seen, the Toshiba has been very popular. You know, they're, they're, we're still trying to figure out what's the right form factor. 
and um, you know uh, when you're competing against laptops, um, it seems to be that a normal laptop often wins against a. You, you need a laptop machine, and to buy a laptop and a tablet is kind of tough for people. So it seems, except for specialized applications, the laptops, the pen machines that are also good laptops, uh, may be the way to go for a while at least. But um, as I understood, they've sold a reasonable number, at least the uh, uh, the ones that I've seen. And uh, you know, a lot of people I know have have variations of the Toshiba or the HP. And um, it's you know. Uh, the fact that Microsoft has put it in the normal OS and the fact that they use it themselves, I believe, many people there, a lot of senior managers there use them, uh, may keep it going um, and people will slowly start innovating in that area knowing that it's here. But I think we really need it. I mean, you know, the handwriting recognition is one thing. and That's always a question. But a machine that can be used in a tablet mode um, when we have wireless with 802.11 today, I mean, it's, um, that's what you need. Uh, and the ability to use uh, a richer input like ink uh, a, as a pointing device, the pen is much better uh, when you don't have a mouse than the other two pointing devices that are popular. Um, so I don't, I don't see why. I mean, I would continue to buy it. I'd pay the, uh, uh, the premium for me, my half. Mm. Yeah, I, look, I personally, I don't think that we've even begun to really explore the possibilities of pen-based oh, computing. No. I think it's Not very early days. Yeah, yeah, no, it's still early, and you know, it's um, what we need is we need a lot more innovation on the desktop. I mean, there hasn't been that much innovation in the user interface on the desktop by comparison, because a lot of people moved to the internet. Uh, Microsoft made it very scary for investors to invest in things that were specific to certain areas around Microsoft products. Um, so people went off elsewhere and did their investment elsewhere uh, into server-based things and browser-based things. Um, you know, and the pen uh, innovation occurred on the handheld. Yep. Where, you know, I mean, who would, you know, the, uh, the from the, the trio to the, um, to the pocket PCs, people use pens. Yeah, and, and and I'm personally, a, you know, a big fan of that. I've been using pocket PCs now for, you know, since they came out six or seven years ago, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd hate to have to go back to, you know, life before that. It would it would cripple the way yeah. that I work. I so, personally don't know how people run without it. Yeah. So uh, the pen the pen's not going away. I mean, because we're using the pen in a lot of handheld things. Uh, I mean, even on the Trio, which is you know has a, a keyboard and everything. Uh, you still use the pen for a variety of things, and uh, very frequently use use uh, use touching on the screen, if not with the pen. Mm. So um, you know, uh, also we're getting to richer media types, and um, you know, ink is one of those media types. We haven't had a um, uh, you know good enough displays for some of the things to do handwriting uh, to let you save some of the things you want, but we're uh, we're getting there. Uh, there's some really you know good high resolution screens coming about. So, going back to what Slate were doing, what sort of stuff were you guys developing back in 1990? Oh, we did a, uh, a, um, a an application development environment that was uh, similar to uh, Visual Basic that came out around the same time as Visual Basic uh, called Pen Apps. 
that was very pen-centric um, and uh, handled ink and remembered the ink of what you wrote and you could go back and forth. And you could build whole app you know, uh, applications that were um, for capturing data and doing things like that with it. We had a, um, uh, a spreadsheet called At Hand uh, that I worked on. Uh, with people, some of whom ended up working on Excel after that uh, for Microsoft, uh, that was a full spreadsheet with graphing and uh, a programming language, etc. We developed um, a thing called Daytimer Pen Scheduler, which was a, a full um, a scheduling, personal scheduling application and note, you know, like a, a daytimer, um, uh, one of those uh, date book things. Uh, that was ink based. We had um, a reading application was kind of like uh, like Acrobat. Um, we those were uh, you know some of the apps that we built uh, you know uh, at um, um, at uh, Slate and of course there were other developers. Uh, one of the others, Aha, did a uh, an ink note taking product that Microsoft uh, has stripped down and uh, provides as their journal application. Uh, if you go to my website, I write a lot about this, and I have links to some of the patents uh, that people got back in the old days where people describe what they were doing, and it's amazing what they were doing back then. <laughs> but uh, the hardware back then, you, you know, uh, the digitizers only worked on black and white, and color sort of killed it off for a while. And the, the people at Go kept changing the hardware we were on, so we, as developers, we had to keep on rewriting our software. Uh, repurposing it and rather than selling it and adding new features so we, we had problems getting uh, being able to come to market that were not specific to the uh, uh, how good the products were but uh, to things about the marketplace speaking of your website I was uh, reading it over the last couple of days and you wrote a really interesting article last year about software that should last for 200 years can uh, you, yes that's can it's, you... it's so popular I think that uh, if you search on Google for lasts, L-A-S-T-S, it often comes up first. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, that would, um, so what about it? I was just going to ask, you know, for, the, for our audience, if you could explain the, the, your basic thinking behind that article, because I oh, thought it was fascinating. Well, yeah. Well, it, you know, working, I was listening to some stuff that the uh, state of Massachusetts was doing uh, in open standards and then open source, and, and they were talking about the challenges uh, of in a government where you have to have things that last for a long time, that the records you keep, uh, you know, like deeds and uh, you know and, and uh, criminal records and tax records, they have to last decades or or, or centuries, and um, they're dealing with the problems of software that doesn't last that long, and that they can't move their stuff ahead, and they're trying to figure out how to handle that. So I started thinking more about the societal infrastructure software and the software that you you want it to last a long time you don't want to have to keep on modifying everything every three years um, so you want systems that can last for many many years just like uh, bridges and roads and all that with the right maintenance can last a long time and um, I've been exploring what principles do we need to build software that is resilient enough uh, to be able to last a long time. It's not that you just start it and it, it wouldn't stop. You know, I mean, you don't build a tax system and never touch it. But you should only have to modify the things that need to be modified. Um, just like you build a house, and then when you redecorate a room, you don't have to rebuild the whole house. You know, when you have a guest, you don't have to rebuild the whole house. And um, 
you, you, know, you can just re buy a new piece of furniture, you just stick the furniture in it. The same thing as building systems that, that can tolerate that. And I see that there are many things about the open source world that fit really well there. There are things that the open source world um, has certain attributes that, um, that work better for long-term support of software. Um, I also did some looking at um, systems that were that had uh, unforeseen things happen to them. Uh, so I looked at accidents, industrial accidents in industrial settings, and uh, also some terrorism stuff, looking at the 9-11 Commission report at what happened um, when the planes hit here, and look at how the systems responded to it. And it's interesting to see the um, what... Um, what we can learn from it and uh, from civil engineering um, about what it takes to make resilient systems um, and how you should build things so that they can they can tolerate unexpected um, things in the future. How does the analogy stretch though, Dan? Because obviously with the continuation of Moore's Law and we have different processor architectures coming out every few years and obviously speeds and memory doubling every couple of years. Does the analogy really stretch? Can we really write software that is going to be able to take full advantage of these new computing uh, leaps and form factors? We don't have to. T that's the thing. We don't, first of all, you don't always have to take full advantage of it. Um, it should continue to work. It shouldn't break. It has to be able to work with the things. The, the stuff that I write today, no matter what word processor I have in the future, I want to be able to read it. Um, I want my data to be there. I don't want to have to uh, redo the toilets. I mean, today's toilets now, you know, in, in public men's rooms and stuff, you know, those are electronic, right? There's a computer program figuring out if you're walking away or not, right? And that, that uh, should not break. <laughs> that has to last a long time. Um, the software that is uh, running certain certain things about finance and the way we run we run our lives, we have hardware that we're not going to touch. We just like sewers and all that. We shouldn't have to replace it except when we want to. We can replace it when we need to or when we want to. It shouldn't be that we replace it because it won't work with new things. Yeah. Um, I mean, writing software is expensive. When, when you write software, you have to understand the area you're writing about. And sometimes those areas aren't changing very much. Sometimes they are. So it's a real challenge to build things that can work with the new hardware or work with new things connected to them. I mean, one of the things that's a challenge today is that, unlike the old days where you built these, whole, these closed systems, you said, here's the thing, it runs on a PC or it runs on a mainframe, and what goes in goes in from here, and everything stays in the data center. Now... Everything is connected to everything else, and we don't control what's being connected to it. You know, you have a tablet PC. Somebody else has a laptop. Somebody else has a uh, a PC that they bought, you know, or a Mac or whatever. We don't control what machines people have, what browsers they're using. We don't control what type of connection to the Internet. We don't control what cell phones they have. Um, you know, we don't, if, if you want to be able to interact with people, you don't know what they're going to be using. And it's... We're, we're starting to have to deal with this, um, the fact that others might upgrade or change at their own rate. I mean, I, I shouldn't have to, if I have something that's working fine for me, why should I have to change it? Or if something is, if something does change in the outside world, 
let's say there's a new tax law, I should be able to make a change to that without having to change everything else. So as, as new concepts like over the last five years or so, the uh, the development of uh, some common standards around web services, for example. And so there's a lot of uh, applications running on mainframes in large corporations that were written on in COBOL 15 years mm -hmm. ago, 20 years ago, and still work fine for all intents and purposes, but aren't able to recognize uh, a web services call, for example. So you're saying you should be able to write some additional application that will enable it to yeah, communicate I, I with that but not change the underlying infrastructure? I think yeah, the key, the key thing is figuring out where to modularize things to handle um, ad hoc improvisation in the future. Um, what type of standards can we build? Um, what type of way of building things lend themselves to, um, to being able to be used in ways we didn't foresee? Um, and us being able to replace components without having to replace all other components. Yep. In, the, in the TV, in the television world, to just improve resolution by a small factor, you know, a small integer factor, we're not even talking about an order of magnitude, everything from the makeup to the lenses to the, uh, to the cameras to the transmitters to, um, to the, the things we watch on, everything has to change. Hmm. In the Internet, we had... Uh, things that were improving by many orders of magnitude, you know, hundreds, thousands, billions, uh, millions of times of improvement without having to change every piece. We could change one piece and improve it, and then another piece and improve it without needing to change everything else. They were two different ways of designing, and the way the Internet was designed uh, in its modular way seems to handle uh, long-term robustness better. If you compare uh, telecommunications in, uh, you know, the, from when the Internet first started, uh, let's say in the, uh, uh, the late 60s um, and early 70s uh, with the ARPANET, and uh, look at what's happened since, or even from when the Internet, as it is now, uh, you know, the last 20, 30 years, compare how fast it, how much it has improved while uh, something like, the, um, the the telephone system or the um, uh, the, um, uh, the the TV uh, system, how slow that has been able to barely improve at the same time. You can see some principles there about how to design things. There is a philosophy involved. Hmm. And let's hope that we build things that are as um, robust. I mean, there are things on the internet that websites. And servers that were, you know, they're 10, uh, 10, 15 years old that, um, well, 15 years old, but, you know, re well, the, the servers on the Internet, uh, mail and stuff like that, that are, you know, like dozens or more, a dozen or more years old that are still running, mm -hmm. would still work today. Um, even though we've improved things and so many times, uh, that that's really cool. And you know that with some of what we'll do, a lot of this stuff is going to continue to work. Mm. Well, that's a, that's a fascinating concept. Yeah. So tell us a bit about what you're working on at the moment, Dan, at Software Garden. Well, it's I've been doing lots of public speaking and uh, consulting. And, and the thing that keeps on coming up is um, is open source and business models and you know learning about that. And looking at that, I realized that there was... 
a hole in the market that a lot of developers, especially corporate developers, weren't didn't know enough about intellectual property law and open source and all that uh, to really understand what's needed of them today in, in today's world uh, because it, it, we're much more sensitive to some of the legal aspects of things than we were before uh, thanks to the SCO IBM lawsuit and, and other things and um, so I decided to do a training video uh, and to try my hand at that uh, for training developers it's a developer speaking to other developers uh, saying you're uh, here's uh, something about let me teach you a bit about copyright law and let me teach you a bit about op open source some things that you may not have known uh, but make sure you understand it and what you need to do and why your lawyer is your friend uh, and not your enemy uh, to help you do things and I'm learning all about video um, I got some professional help to set up a uh, setup in my office so I just flip a few switches and the lights come on and I you know put my makeup on and uh, you know, it's amazing I have to remember to. Well, now I understand why. I look at oh, look at that shiny forehead. You know, I have to powder my head. My nose is shiny. I have to powder it. I didn't know any of this stuff. Um, I'm learning about microphones and sound. Uh, it, it helped me with podcast stuff because I became much more sensitive to, to issues of sound and editing. Um, I'm learning to become proficient at uh, Final Cut Express on uh, uh, on the Mac, uh, which the pros tell me is sufficient. And uh, hopefully uh, by sometime in April, I'll have uh, the tape out in distribution. It's uh, I have a uh, an alpha version of it going out this week. And uh, you're going to distribute it via CD or online? Uh, yeah, uh, what's yeah. The model? Start with start with DVD. Standard. I mean, if I'm selling to, um, I mean, you know, I want to be able to sell something, and I want people, you know, to buy it. And the people who buy training material are used to buying it in a certain way uh, and paying a certain amount through certain channels uh, you know for corporations and all so I'm probably going to go through some of them for selling it directly myself and and if there's demand then I'll uh, use some of the standard middleman to sell it same way you know it's a, I'm back to selling package stuff that's what I like I'm back to uh, putting something in a box uh, you know putting a label around it um, and uh, and selling it it's something that I enjoy as a small business person it's just me and an assistant, a part-time assistant, uh, doing this stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, some professionals I bring in once in a while to help me. There's, there's been a bit of talk, uh, obviously, about um, video blogging online over the last uh, few months, and we saw some interesting yeah. products being demoed at Demo around oh, yeah. video blogging. And I know that you know you've been very involved in podcasting over the last six months. So, what's your thoughts on where all this sort of stuff is going? These these new communication mediums. It, whoa, <laughs> um, it's every time we think the computer is good enough, you know, for everything. I can hold all my photographs, you know, in a little corner of my disk drive. Now I'm starting to put sound, and after sound, I'm putting video. Uh, thank God they're. Or they're pulling fiber outside my home. Um, it's, I, you know, it's another me. It's another medium. They each have their own, uh, their own values. Uh, text has great value uh, in blogging and all, and we still have far to go in what we can do with that. Um, audio, because your hands are free, you can do it when you're when your eyes are busy doing something else. When you're Exercising or traveling, uh, or just even walking around or shoveling snow, um, they I've, I have listened to podcasts shoveling snow. Um, <laughs> though you don't always want to get that 
you know, I identify the shoveling snow with the thing you're listening to. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, pod, the fa- since we now have portable music players where putting a podcast is a nothing, you know, it, it doesn't, it's not, it, you, you don't think twice of putting a lot of them on. Um, that's a great new medium that we have. Uh, I see the th- same thing's going to happen with video, but there are different times when we need video. Um, but for certain personal things, uh, you know, Apple has been very successful with uh, what they've been able to do with their equipment to uh, uh, going after the, the simple, um, uh, like, home movie type market, uh, as well, of course, in the higher end market with where they've established themselves too. Um, we'll see what happens. I, I don't, you know, the whole thing about uh, blogs and all was that you can skim text quickly. And you can see what interests you and jump from thing to thing. And then RSS just made that turbocharge that ability of being able to, to look around a whole lot of things. Um, you know, um, audio fits in at times that were kind of breaks in our lives where we can now can do something, uh, where we can listen to something that's more of specifically what we want. Uh, I do know, obviously, in training, uh, video has been phenomenal uh, for just-in-time training and stuff like that, uh, but also in certain types of um, uh, of communications where you want to get across, just like photographs get certain ideas across. Sometimes I think video does, but there are new skills you need to know to be able to do it well. Editing is a is a real tough thing. I mean, it uh, requires certain skills to be able to know when to do what to make it. You know, just like knowing how to compose a photograph, knowing how to uh, do lighting. You know, pros really know how to do that. Um, I mean, people spend, you know, years learning how to to do the right thing to make it pleasing, and we expect it to be pleasing. Um, we'll see. I mean, think of all the, 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 uh, the podcasters who are really learning all the ins and outs of recording now. They're buying these special microphones, you know, and figuring out, and, and compression, and figuring out just what's the right level of compression, and... Uh, we haven't even gotten into to doing certain types of uh, editing yet to uh, to be able to take something long and cut it down to something short because people don't want to listen to a long rambling like this. <laughs> oh, well, I don't think this is a good example. Everyone wants to listen yeah, to this. Oh, yeah, my stuff is all great, yes. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think uh, but it's not the same as being able to um, to take a snippet out of uh, out of a, uh, a blog post and just point a link to it for those few that want to follow further than that. Yeah. Um, but I, I, podcasting, I can see, is it has a whole lot to go in terms of having the equivalent of uh, the permalink, uh, you know, and the ability to um, to send somebody a link to a short thing in the middle of something, um, and have um, MP3 players that handle that well. <laughs> It's hard enough to have them remember where you were when you turned it off, you know, if you did something else in the meantime, you know, uh, depending on which, which MP3 player you're using. Uh, video, we have the same type of things we're going to have to figure out. Um, how am I going to, um, to do the equivalent of just uh, put a little quote in and a link to it, and how are we going to do those things? It's, uh, with sound, we've been saying, well, go to this thing and streaming and drag it ahead to 23 minutes and 42 seconds in, you know. <laughs> It's uh, a bit kludgy. Yeah, it's still yeah, it's still it's still pretty. It's pretty kludgy right now to to, to figure out how to. Uh, but that's where we're like the early days of personal websites, which ended up with 
uh, with blogging as we know it today. And uh, some of that same stuff's going to happen. Hopefully the hardware people, of course, will, uh, or people hacking the, the hardware with the right software. If, if we only had a, a more open platform for, um, for development, if, you know, if the, the iPod had been more like a Mac in terms of allowing development um, and us being able to do things, imagine if you, you, know, you built the, uh, uh, the right type of an app for, for listening to podcasts. That would mm. be kind of cool. Um, but we'll get there. Well, the Apple guys and then, of are starting. Same thing. Yeah, the Apple guys yeah. are sort of starting to open up the iPod a little bit. They're trying to get people to develop oh, more yeah. in the line of games and that sort of stuff for it. So. Oh yes. I mean, right. Yeah. They and they're, they're, they and they, of course they have some educational institutions which are allowed to play with it and stuff like that. And um, it's um, but whoever we'll see who comes up with the first you know platform that uh, that people innovate on that become the must-have platform. Uh, you know, for Apple, let's hope that they're able to do that. Uh, Microsoft, uh, they they like to do that, um, and that's been their thing of of enabling developers to customize stuff. But the the specter of the entertainment industry hanging over this stuff um, has been clouding it. This tiny industry of entertainment, by comparison to other things, um, has been sort of holding a lot of this hostage because they're afraid that, you know, God forbid you could use this to, uh, to not use their, their material the way they want you to use it. Um, and a lot of the things we're talking about are to be using material that we want others to use with. We, I, don't, I don't care about their material as much. It's okay with me to use theirs under a more restrictive environment, but I'll hopefully find some artists who are more willing to let me um, cut and paste and uh, take advantage of their material uh, than others, um, and I'll have more uh, of a uh, an allegiance to those artists. Speaking uh, of the Macintosh and and people who changed yeah. the world in their lifetime, um, we obviously witnessed the untimely passing of Jeff Raskin, who yes. is people associated as the creator of the Macintosh. Did you have much to do with Jeff at all? Uh, we our paths crossed a few times, and I actually last saw him about a year ago. We were on a panel together, and he's always been was driven by trying to have simpler and simpler interfaces, um, and um, and understandable. I think he had written first heard about him. I think he wrote uh, an early manual uh, for the Apple that uh, influenced um, the development of some of the stuff that was used for VisiCalc. That uh, may have helped VisiCalc come about in the early days when it first came out, and um, you know, getting the idea that you, you would have this, um, the Macintosh would be a, a simple appliance-like thing. Uh, I, I think that type of visionary stuff gets people going, and you know, uh, we need visionaries like that. And it's it's sad that uh, you know, in our industry, a variety of visionaries have have been passing over the last uh, you know many years. I mean, you know, it's. Um, it's going to continue to happen, and um, hopefully we've been able to save whatever we can from these people uh, to learn from them in the future um, and look back at uh, the stuff. But uh, we should be happy that we had them with us. Mm. So what are you most excited about, uh, what you're seeing out there at the moment? Dan, Just uh, what do you think are some of the most exciting innovations that are we're going to see change our lives over the course of this decade. 
Oh, I don't know what's going to. I mean, I, I know it looks fertile, but I don't know, you know, what it's going to be, or else, you know, we'd have it, or else I'd be investing in it. Um, you know, the, the taking advantage of connected, of the community aspect of being connected, is having a major effect on the world. Um, uh, people don't go on vacation without, you know, checking about the place they're going, and maybe even. Uh, reading things written by others like them who were there recently, who have you know tips and you know uh, we read the uh, uh, the stuff that's on Amazon, the uh, reviews people have. Um, we do open source development where people who you may never have met uh, are helping you with your applications. I mean, I've seen that with things I've done, and of course with Linux and and all the other open source things, we're seeing that in spades. Um, Corporations are finding that um, uh, the relationship with outsiders is a lot more intimate in ways than there ever was before. You can outsource things you couldn't outsource before, and we're much more of a web of 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 everything. Um, and that's made, being made possible by the connectivity that we're seeing. And I think that that's going to change change entire ways we organize parts of business, uh, the way we, we organize many ways we do things. Um, the, 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 the idea of everything has to be hierarchical has changed. Uh, the hierarchies are ad hoc now, um, and we, we see it through the blogging world, but we're, gonna, we're seeing it through uh, even how commerce is done. And I, I think it's as it's going to be as important as when, oh, like, they decided years ago uh, it had been that uh, charging interest was uh, immoral, right? Because you were taking advantage of, of a poor, downtrodden person. But at some point they realized that merchants that borrowed money uh, were actually taking advantage of the bank. <laughs> and it was in the interest of the borrower uh, from a positive viewpoint. And, and we were able to um, build build things that required borrowing to be able to pay, you know, to let you do it in advance. And the whole way business was done and uh, the whole way uh, governments financed things changed. Um, and the world, we changed all sorts of things about the world. Well, we're, we're seeing new ways of being able to organize. You know, when the, the corporation was figured out, you know, um, going from the little shop to being able to do corporations, that was a major advance that brought about uh, much better um, uh, life, you know, uh, uh, you know, quality of life for many people because we could produce goods so much cheaper and provide things so much cheaper. We're going through that t same type of thing now. And uh, that's so exciting um, that all this is part of it. You know, it's, you know, we're, we're seeing it in so many, I mean, so many ways, you know, podcasting is a piece of it. Um, and, you know, blogging is a piece of it. But open source is a piece of it, and um, you know we're we're realizing this goes back to that 200-year software. What I realized is that instead of computers helping us with society, computers are now the only way we do parts of society. We're now starting to build parts of society that are based upon the assumption that it's done with a computer. There is no alternative. There's no backup. There's no paper backup like there used to be. No manual backup, and um, you know you you go places and you say I'll meet you when I'm there. Uh, I'll give you a call on the cell phone, you know, and we'll figure out how to meet. You you don't 
think twice about that. Well, you know, ten years ago, people didn't do that. You know, um, you know, you you know that you can you can find the travel industry has been completely changed by the internet. So I think that we're we're seeing there, there's so many pieces. To me, the the community aspect of it and the distributed sharing aspect of it, um, and we're not just having goods that have demarcations and you're selling a good and you're transferring, but there's a lot of, of give and take and people participating and adding to it. Um, that That is real exciting, but I don't know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm, you know, happy to be a part of it and to watch it, but I know that one person's innovation can have immense, uh, immense effects because I saw it personally, and of course I'm very sensitive to, to seeing other people's innovation and how they, uh, how something, uh, how clever it is, and how they did just the right little things. It turns out in hindsight that is like a ripple, you know, like a stone in a in a in a pond, and the ripples that go out affecting other ways. And just just to wrap up, Dan, we I guess we should let you go and keep putting on your makeup. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now I'm done with that for a while. <laughs> um, on the, so the... embarrassing to go to that. <laughs> I know nothing about makeup. You know, I was asking, well, you know, well, what type, what color should I wear, and what you know. <laughs> you know you're, gonna have, you're gonna have to shave the beard off. You know that you're not allowed to be on video with a beard, Dan. Oh yeah, no, no, the beard. But I have to always trim it just right so that they, my lips are visible. And I don't know, oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I was just finally I was going to ask you the, um, on the last night of demo at the uh, gala dinner where you were invited up again by Chris Shipley as one of the guest innovators to give some words of wisdom. The question that she asked um, all of the guests was, if you were to give advice to yourself, age twenty. What would it be? And, and you said some really inspiring, inspiring things. I thought that night. Could you try and recapture Ooh, some of I that, remember? perhaps, oh, God, for the audience? Yes. Oh God! Um, uh, what, what did I say? I remember because I worked real hard thinking about that, but I don't <laughs> have my notes because um, the pressure was on. Um, well, one of course is that you can change the world, um, and that you really you don't know where you're going to go. Um, every step along the way, it's the, I have my image of uh, the uh, the entrepreneur or the small businessman. It, with the, it's like you're crossing a uh, uh, a river or a stream, and you're walking on the rocks, and you go step by step, and you know generally the direction you want to go, uh, but you're not sure exactly where. But you just go forward step by step, and once in a while you have to back up, and you sometimes get wet. But that's the feeling you have to like, and that that was. For me, you know, that's what my life has been since, and all these steps have have brought me somewhere. Um, what I did learn is that you really want to stick to the knitting, stay focused on. If you're working on something, uh, if you keep working and keep going with it, you can get somewhere. Um, that, um, you know, and when I didn't do that, we could have gone a lot further with some of the products we were like with Visicalc. We could have gone further with it, but we went off and did some other things. Um, that it is worth you know, nose to the grindstone and just trying and trying and things do get better. I think... Uh, of course, you know, there, there's... Realize that family and personal relationships are are really where a lot of it's at and that's what's been driving a lot of products now um, because that's what people pay for. 
That's what people care about. They care more about, you know, talking to their friends and relatives than they do about listening to uh, that commercial stuff. Uh, you know, it's, I mean, you know, you may really care about watching TV, but if it's a, the right call from the right person, you want that to come through and you'll push stop. Yeah. Or turn it off. Because that's more important. Even though it's supposed to be dribble. You know, the, the pros always talk about how the, you know, the, the stuff we put in our blogs, who would care about that stuff? Well, the, some people care, and they care a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, it may only be five people, but they care a lot. And, um, you know, my telephone conversation may be boring to you, but, you know, it often isn't to the people that I'm talking to because I'm telling them how much I care about them but just by talking to them, and that means a lot to them. Mm. And vice versa. Great words of wisdom to wrap up the show, I think, Dan. On a heartwarming moment. Yeah. Need that with the snow out today, I'll tell you. <laughs> Dan Brickland, thank you very much for taking the time to chat to us. It's uh, been an absolute pleasure meeting you at Demo and having you on the show today. A legend of the industry, somebody who has definitely changed the world at least once, if not several times in their lifetime. And I'm sure we'll probably change it a couple more times in the near future. Well, let's pray. Let's hope. <laughs> Educating Not people. Me. I hope it's one of our. I hope one of your listeners will do it. I'm counting on it. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Thanks very much. We really appreciate it. You have a, a, a great evening in uh, snowy Massachusetts. Oh, thanks a lot. You too. Thanks, in, the, Dan. in the nice warm up there in the summer, right? <laughs> Take care. Bye bye. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. G'day world, g'day Mick, how are you my buddy? G'day Cam, how This you is doing, Jeremy Wright for the Podcast Network and this is the business. I'm looking for Claiborne. Do you g'day know everybody where? and welcome to the Gadget Show. Today hey, we're going how to you doing? I'm Dubba. It's the Jazz Show on the Podcast Network. The Welcome best to in the jazz Tablet PC around. Show. My name is James Kendrick. Today is Sunday, Welcome March 3rd. Welcome to the 30. second Mobiles Podcast in the Podcast Network. This is Ewan Spence. It's the Movie Show! G'day, Ewan. And bye for action! Hello, G'day. everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Tech Addiction Show. Tech Addiction Show. Hey folks, welcome to the VC Show. It's Wednesday, the 9th of March, 2005. Just say yes if you want me. Yes if you need Say yes to podcasting at www.thepodcastnetwork.com Not just your love, but talk this